Drop Podcast. This is going to be our first episode of the Player Report Card Series. We'll, we'll be evaluating all 25 players that suited up for the Canadians this season, excluding goalies. Our ratings are on a per-game basis, and the categories of evaluation are goals, assists, and points for offensive stats, and hits, blocks, and takeaways for defensive stats. With these stats, we computed the either upward or downward trend of each player uh, in comparing with their previous year. So we'll jump right in. Um, you know, I want to just go, well, I think the best way to do this is kind of break it down. We'll start with like their overall grade. Yeah, and, and also then, we're just, we're starting with five players. So yeah, we're going to we'll go five like at five, a time. Yeah. So there's going to be around five total episodes in this series. Um, so yeah, let's start. Yeah, we're starting with the five best players on yeah. the can. So we're not doing it by like forwards or defense. It's just the top five. So number one on our list is Nick Suzuki. His grade for the season was a B. Um, this is an improvement from his 2019-2020 season where by the same uh, stats, he was a B-. minus. So some good improvement there. Um, offensively, he improved from a B plus to an A. And defensively, he improved from a C to a B minus. Yeah, so even just um, you know, it's it's a similar delta there, but the like the well, similar but not. But it's not as big of a jump as people think would think offensively. But I think even just not looking at the stats, you could tell his defensive game just went through the roof this season. I mean, really, those comparisons that he draws to Bergeron slowly started to really come out. We saw him trusted with a lot more defensive yeah. roles. And, again, he was producing at a higher rate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, before we go into the actual numbers, um, you know, I, I think that this also supports the eye test and kind of the sniff test of the season where, um, a, you know, it's just you could see his overall game basically improved yeah. uh, from his rookie season, which was by no means a bad year either. Um, I think that, it, you know, when we say A, B, minus B, these aren't arbitrary letters that, you know, like Rob and I basically sat down and created, but, um, you know, we, we basically had a ranking system and it's on a percentile basis. So this is really with compared to the rest of the team's performance, he did fall in that A category. So, um, you know, we'll jump right into the, the offensive side of it. Do you want to take, like, uh, his, basically his metrics from yeah, sure. 19 on? Yeah, so in the 1920, so his rookie season, um, in terms of goals, Suzuki had 0.18 goals per game, um, which was a huge increase in 2021, which he went up to a 0.27. So huge increase there. Um, going on to assists, he started off 19, uh, in 2019-2020, his rookie season again with a .39, so almost a .4 uh, assists per game, uh, and increasing slightly to .46 in 2020-2021. And then finally, going on to points, um, this is where I think, you know, I think we'll notice it the most, and I think people notice generally over the season, his point total just went up, so... Uh, in 2019-2020, Suzuki had 0.58 points per game. So, like you said, phenomenal rookie season. I was really happy with how his uh, rookie season went. Um, and then going into 2020-2021, he went up to a 0.73 points per game. So, um, you know, you see these trends a lot with with these star players. And, um, you know, I, I it was nice to see him kind of stick with the uh, predetermined model of, of these guys who could potentially get up to point-per-game players. Well, that's it, and I think it's important to note that, you know, like we, like we said, the point-per-game and the just the per-game basis is so important when evaluating these guys because, um, well, for one thing, injuries happen, rookies don't get played every single game, but just, you know, looking at his total stats, 
In his rookie season, he had 41 points, and in uh, this past season, he had 41 points. But he had 41 points in 56 games rather than 71. So um, the per-game rate is probably, like, the second best way to look at this. I think, like, per 60 minutes of ice time is probably the best. The only thing with that is that um, it really becomes almost like how the team deploys him. So I think just comparing the per game is fair when you're dealing with one team because he's going to be deployed differently between seasons rather than just he's playing the game, he's playing the game. Yeah, you see certain stats kind of affect different players you know, in, in negative and positive ways. I mean, if you take a guy like Phil Deneau, for mm-hmm. example, um, you know, he's a guy that would be know really like trashed offensively in terms of his per 60 minutes played because of his yeah. role in the penalty kill um same goes for guys like uh um you know Lekkanen and Byron well that, that did exactly yeah so, so we're we'll going to the defensive stats yeah so looking at hits per game Suzuki was throwing uh 0.9 hits per game in 2019-20 and that went up to 1.25 hits per game so this was noticeable yeah he was a lot more physical a little more hard-nosed um Blocks per game went up from 0.45 to 0.68, and takeaways went up from 0.44 to 0.54. So, I mean, all uh, aspects of the game, like we said, went up. Um, You know, obviously, it's not as big offensive uh, jumps than his offensive production, but at the same time, that's, again, his role. He's a playmaking center. Um, I like that his takeaways are going up. I like that his hits went up, you know, in terms of overall percentage, probably the most out of his defensive stats. And, you know, blocks per game, I, you know, I'm okay with him not getting dinged up at age no, 22 yeah, at this point, actually, but so. he is blocking more shots. So, I mean, you know, that's an improvement in all six, I guess you could say major categories that we've, uh, we've chosen, um, improved absolutely everywhere. And I think that reflects his season. I think yeah. he just came back as a better Nick Suzuki and, you know, more refined game and just basically... I took that next step, which leads me to believe, I don't know about you, but like this is, he's going to do that again yeah, next year. I, yeah, he follows that trajectory. He's, I, I definitely think he's a point per game player. Um, like I said, this season, I, you know, his goals to his assist ratio was very similar to his rookie season, which is a good sign. That means that like he knows his game. Mm-hmm. But for me, what was most important was seeing how, you know, he was not at all a defensive liability on the ice this year. Um, and and, and during his rookie season, it definitely wasn't the case. Like, you know, we had to be selective on who we were playing him against. And, you know, this season, even against Tampa, like, you know, when Tampa kind of, you know, caught on to our, our, our methodology in the playoffs, you know, Suzuki was getting a lot of the point matchups and um, a lot of the Sorelli matchups. And, yeah. You know, playing really, really good hockey defensively. And, you know, I was just really happy that the progress of his defensive game. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think that that solidifies also him being the highest-ranked player on the team. Yeah. I think, though, it is important to say, given that he got a B as an overall grade, uh, it does show the Habs are still lacking that, you know, that A-plus player, mm-hmm. which is, again, it's just that, we'll that next off-season. step. Exactly. We'll see could this offseason, and we'll could see a, how... Yeah, could, it, one of those. But uh, it could also does, you know, leave room for basically Suzuki and Caulfield and even Kotkaniemi to that degree to take that next step next year and kind of break out a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if Suzuki really has a big year next year. Um, Moving on to the second player, uh, also overall getting a B is Jeff Petrie. This is um, no change from the year before. His his grade stays at a B, 
The only difference is in 2019-20, his offense was a B and his defense overall was a B. Whereas this year, we saw Jeff Petrie's offense jump to an A and his defense drop to a C+. And I think, before again we get into the stats, I think that's relatively fair. I think we saw like you know a big jump offensively at one point from Jeff Petrie, but he really was a defensive issue at times. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, and I, you know, I think... This was the first season where I know we've been pointing it out for a little while that, you know, kind of questioning why this guy's on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he doesn't make great decisions sometimes on the penalty kill, and uh, it costs us, all, you know, a lot of times. And, you know, sometimes with defensemen, it's a give and take with, you know, especially if it's not a superstar with offensive output and defensive prowess. I mean, uh, you know, if you're going to join, jump up in the play more, you know, you might uh, you know, make some defensive errors. But, Again, Jeff Petrie, I, I think, like you said, this passed the sniff test because I think a lot of people noticed his defensive game, especially during the playoffs, uh, really suffer. And then, you know, you look on early in the season, I mean, by you know, mid-February, late February, mid to late February, he was being considered a Norris candidate because uh, of his point production and, uh, you know, still um, you know, really high in points for us this year. Yeah, I mean, we always do. I mean, the last few years we rely on him to kind of drive the offense to a certain degree. and He was um, second in points. I think he was second in points yeah. on the team this year, yeah. And, um, yeah, looking at his offensive production, in 2019, he was .15 goals per game. That jumped up to .22. Um, he was a .41 assists per game, which jumped up to a .55. And his .56 point per game jumped all the way up to .76. Yeah. So, um, you know, it clearly his offense, you know, was... Uh, you know, improved in every area. Yeah, However, specifically the assists. His assists, yeah, assists. that's the end. And just, the, I, I found his, he was just part of the play more. You know, yeah. he was relied on a lot more on the power play. Yeah. Because I, Shea Weber kind of took a step back, mm-hmm. which now we kind of understand why. Yeah, I, I see with Jeff Petrie a lot. He's one of these guys who, like, uh, you know, suffers with confidence issues at mm-hmm. times. I notice sometimes he... You know, he, he either passes way too lightly, the puck barely moves, and then when this guy's got his confidence going, um, you know, it's kind of like a domino effect with him. Like, if he gets a point or two a certain night, he'll keep that going for a little while until he has a bad game, then he'll drop off the face of the earth for 20 games. And it's, you know, it's a lot like Jonathan Druin, actually. And, um, you know, it gets frustrating when you're in those lulls, but when he's playing, he's really playing, and it's, it's nice to see. So let's, let's jump into the defensive stats here. So... This is hard to look at. Yeah, in, um, you know, just a foreshadow, he basically, you know, everything went down. But 2019-2020 hits, he had around 2.5 per game, 2.49. Uh, 2020-2021, that fell all the way to 1.76. Um, going into blocked shots in 2019-2020, he had 1.11 with a very slight decrease, almost not statistically significant, to 1.09. Um, and then... Um, Takeaways. Takeaways, sorry. Um, in 2019-2020, he went uh, 0.42 takeaways per game, and then all the way down to a 0.18. So that, I think, is most reflective of what we saw this season, yeah. um, was his lack of takeaways and just you know, him getting caught in a cycle in our zone a lot and not being able to get the puck out. I, uh, I noticed that. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, the blocks, it's not really, uh, you know, it's not statistically significant like you said it's basically that's the difference between like one block during the year that's if the puck goes off his shin or not Mm -hmm. however i i will say there was a lot of the times where he was screening carrie price so 
it, it, it's at least worth yeah, mentioning that like that one block here, that one yeah. block here and there would have at least made him you know balance out um the hits for me going down from like you said almost two and a half to one and three quarters that's big for me given that he's six foot three and you know he's on our he's on a pair with Edmondson who plays rough and our whole defense was built on playing a physical rough game this is like you know, a take you get a takeaway if you hit the guy and get the puck off yeah. of him, or intercept a pass, or just basically if your play uh, disrupts his and you end up with the puck. So it's clear, you know, they do work hand in hand a little, but you know his his defensive aggression is what's gone because if it's blocks which are more passive defensively versus your hits and takeaways dropping that significantly. It's clear that you know he he was maybe taking his foot off the gas a little in terms of the defensive end of the ice, yeah. and if that's in the name of scoring more, I guess I'm okay with it. But then you yeah, really do like need to be that like point per game. You can't have that guy who averages a point per game but scores yeah. every five. That's games. what I was gonna say. I mean, like it it kind of works out when Edmondson's on his game, but you know when. It's it's rare Edmondson you know loses an edge, but you know we saw during Tampa Bay he was just not himself, and you know you combine that with a defensively irresponsible Jeff Petrie, and all of a sudden we have well what we had in Tampa, and uh, you know a lot of uh, passes like you know we're not going to go with the Edmondson one again, but you know stuff like that that recurs over and over well, where you, know, you get a you get a, you give them an opportunity to shoot right in the slot, but I think with Petrie as well. Um, and you talking about that A-plus player that we're missing, you know, it, it's tough to see guys like Petrie or Jonathan Druin or, you know, even Tyler Toffoli to an extent that don't have that, you know, my team is in a rut right now, we can't seem to score, I'm going to do it. I, I see that with Nick Suzuki, but not to the extent that you see on other teams. Like, they, we don't have that, you know... Um, I'm superstar. Not, that superstar. And I'm, I'm trying to find a class below because, like, obviously, you know, not every team has a superstar, but like we don't have those, um, you know, those Brock Bessers kind of thing where like, he's like a sub superstar. He's not a superstar, but he really is a clutch player. And like when your team's not scoring, like the guy will put the puck in the net. That's it. And I, you know, I think if he would have been able, I obviously the goal is to improve every year and improve everything. But I think at the very least, it's, it's fair to ask of someone like Jeff Petrie, that if he's going to be able to raise his offensive production by a whole letter grade by our standard, that he at least not sacrifice his defense. Because looking at it now, had he maintained his defense, he would have had the highest grade on the team. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, again, I just think that level of aggression needs to come back defensively. And it's it's going to be important, especially with the uh, status on Shea Weber still up in the air yeah. and not looking, you know, favorable. Yeah, and I, you know, I, this is the thing, you know, Petrie's one of these guys that, you know, he's a, you know, he's a Habs success story, and I, I, I love this guy, and I, I, you know, was so happy we extended him, and you know, I'm happy to see him still on the team, but, you know, with his confidence issues at times, I, I struggle to imagine us being successful with him as the guy, you know, that's I why I... I'm really hoping that we're looking into a guy like Dougie Hamilton to take over Shea Weber's role there because that guy, you know, Dougie Hamilton can be that guy and he can be, you know, the guy we lean on and the guy that we are super, super dependable. And, um, you know, I'd be, I'd be, even though Weber and Petrie were splitting the minutes uh, per se, I, I just, I think Petrie succeeded more offensively when he knew that it wasn't so much on his shoulders to be, 
um, you know, the guy in front of Christ. No, I completely yeah. agree. So uh, jumping in at number three, also uh, averaging a B is Tyler Toffoli. Um, coming, that's a B improving from a B minus the year before. Yeah. Uh, his offense goes from an A minus to an A, and his defense goes from a C minus to a C. So again, improving overall both sides of the ice. Um, but as we'll see, not every single category actually was an improvement for Toffoli, even if they were minute. But um, I'll start with the offense actually. So his goals per game, um, obviously having a fantastic goal scoring season with the Habs, but going from a .35 goals per game in 2019 to a .54 goals per game uh, to fully put the puck in the net a lot for us this year. Yeah. Um, obviously, with all of these, it's also worth saying, you know, with a shortened season, it's easier to have higher stats. Yeah. However, you still, like I said, on a per-game basis, you still have to do it. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, it wasn't a super short season. Like, I'd be more worried if we were talking about, like, like a 36 yeah, or a, exactly. even a 46. But 56, we're approaching that 60-game mark. Usually these guys keep their patterns at yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, and then his assists went up just a little bit from 0.29 to 0.31 points per game. And his point uh, from assists per game. And then his points per game went up from 0.65 to 0.85. Um, just overall an offensive, I think that was his best offensive year of his career. Yeah, And it, you know, it, it showed the guy was just lights out for us for the most part. He had his kind of dips here and there, but you know, we, we saw that there was a bit of a playmaking aspect to him as well, but mainly that guy just, he, he can score a lot of goals and I think he will score a lot of goals for us for the time that he's in Montreal. Yeah, definitely more offensive upside than I think we thought we were getting. Yes. I, I think most people thought we were getting you know, like an extra 20 goals a, a year. Which is what I think we said is, uh, in the offseason yeah. when we acquired him. Yeah, and that would still be a great acquisition. But I think, you know, I, I, projecting off of this season, I, I don't think Tyler Foley is a 40-goal scorer. No. Um, I think he can, if he pushes hard, you know, keep a 30 like, yeah, the guy's got especially talent. playing with the right players. Yeah, so um, you know I, I'm excited to see what he does moving forward. But jumping into the defensive stats um, in 2019-2020, he had 0.71 hits per game that went up all the way to a 1.44. So he had a huge increase in his physicality, which I definitely noticed even from the start to the end of the season. As I was going to say, I think that's the that's what we can call like the Brendan Gallagher effect. Yeah. He played with Gallagher quite a bit this year. And just the Montreal Canadiens as a whole, we asked him to round out his game more, and I think that's what we got. You know, he just he could he doubled his hits per game. Yeah, and he started playing penalty kill and everything. So yeah, um, you know, even though his his defensive overall went from C minus to C, I think that that jump is a significant jump in his game. Yes, you know, like on a, absolutely on a, on a per player basis. But going to the blocks in 2019-2020, he had .24, very similar to 2020-2021, .23, so no real change there. And then takeaways, .51 in 2019-2020, and again, to not huge change in 2020-2021, but .48. So what I get from that is slightly decreased uh, you know, blocks and takeaways, although not as significant as the increase in his hits, and I think that's reflected in his... Uh, increase in his defensive uh, in his defensive overall yeah absolutely I completely agree I think that yeah it's 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 technically a decline but yeah. it's not really it's you know, when if you're within five percent or yeah. let's say even ten percent of what you did the year before I think his blocks there that would technically be like maybe a quarter of a block yeah exactly <laughs> oh. it's it's really not uh, 
not like a, a noticeable difference. It's just it is worth writing down. I mean, if it's below, it's below. Yeah. But so yeah, um, to fully great season, honestly, uh, first season with the Canadians too. So yeah, uh, set the bar high. Let's hope he can keep it up. But I think playing with guys like Suzuki and Caulfield that'll just keep his production high. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, for me, I want to see next year when we do this again. What his defensive stats look like? Yeah, I, I think he has a tell. lot more to give there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think with Toffoli, we saw a lot of ebbs and flows as well. I, you know, it's kind of hard to statistically correct for that brutal April we had, where yeah. we had, you know, I think it was twenty four games in forty days or something like that between yeah. March and April. But um, so it's hard to correct for for those lulls with these guys, but. Even earlier on in the season, I did notice it was like, you know, it was a two-goal two night for him, and then, you know, nothing for a little while, exactly. and then two, three goals, a hat-trick against Vancouver, and then nothing. So, a little bit of a, you know, he, when, when he, it's a lot like Petrie, like, once the domino falls, he'll keep it going for a little bit, but then he kind of goes absent for a little bit, and, you know, again, like, I think in the playoffs against a team like Tampa Bay, that's what the Habs were missing, is is that guy to just, you know, take them by the collar when they're not performing and, and really just put it in that. That's it. And it's also important to, like, remember with Toffoli, he started the year playing with Kotkaniemi and Armia, which yeah. was really offensively it was beneficial. Best, it was his best uh, Yeah, and, and then he had a big chunk of time where he had a more defensive role yeah. with Deno, and then he got bumped up to play with Suzuki and Caulfield, which that, again, it let him kind of be more uh, creative offensively. Yeah. So... Again, yeah, we'll just see. I mean, improved all around. So yeah, I, I, we, I don't think we can ask for much more, especially no. with you know arguably you know one of the best contracts in the league. Um, you if know, it I, maintains that it production, is, it's contract. it's at yeah, it's it's arguably the best. Yeah, you could maybe make an argument for two or three other players. Yeah, 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 McKinnon. Yeah, <laughs> McKinnon, Marshawn, those Pass guys, but it's still cheaper. Yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll move yeah. on. Another new guy, uh, Josh Anderson. Obviously, this one was... It, it would be hard for him not to have an improved season based off of he only played 20 games the year before, yeah. and it was he played horribly. But just to give an overview, he improved overall from a C- to a B, uh, offensively from a D to a B, yeah. and defensively from a C to a B. So you want to take the offense? Yeah, okay. So 2019-2020, uh, not much to report here. 0.04 goals per game, so uh, you know you guys can do the math on 20 games there. Uh, moving up to a, a goal every three games in 2020-2021, so that's a you know significant improvement there. Yeah. Um, assists, we're going from 0.12 in 2019-2020, uh, actually maintaining his pace in 2020-2021 there with 0.13, and then total points, another huge increase, tripling his output basically, um, over tripling. So 2019-2020, Josh Anderson had 0.15 points per game, and in 2020-2021, he had 0.46. Yeah, so just obviously um, a massive um, offensive jump for Anderson. Another guy who was very spotty, but I think overall we we did see that this is someone who, you know, he can produce at that level. We saw him right near the end of the playoffs where I personally wanted to see him play on the left side of Suzuki Mm -hmm. and and, uh Caulfield. I think that's what they'll keep going into next year. Yeah, I'll add a caveat just before you continue with his spottiness. He was the guy, not you know to that to the level that we were talking about that we needed, but throughout the season when we were having a shit game, Josh Anderson was always firing, and I thought that you know that was going to be the guy that was going to kind of Brendan Gallagher us 
out of um, like New Age Brendan Gallagher out of out of these holes when you know Gallagher's not as healthy mm-hmm. and um, you know dealing with his hand or whatever. But um, then we got to the playoffs and I, I I saw a lull that I think basically overshadowed every other player's lull yeah. this season and it, it kind of took you know a lot of um, it took a lot out of him I think in terms of his his confidence on his team especially with the hockey market here in in, in Montreal. So I was happy to see in Tampa that he sort of pulled it together. And I think on a normal year, I'm excited to see what he does next season. Yeah, I think him scoring those two goals in Vegas really jump-started yeah. him. It oh, kind of gave him sorry, some, like, no, no, but t- and carried it into the Tampa series. Mm-hmm. I think, like, the reason we saw that energy really is that two-goal game. He got to score an overtime winner in Montreal. Yeah. Um, it, it just it jump-started right see, near that's the what end. I mean. Is like, I'm pretty sure we only had two goals that game. Yeah. Yeah. We well we tied it up and then we It was three two. It was either two one or three two, I yeah. can't remember. But I just remember him like taking control of that game by yeah. himself and like that's what I saw in the regular season early on. Oh yeah, yeah. it's then, exactly it. He played so well when he's on and so poorly when yeah. he's off that it just it does overshadow. But just well, like yeah, like as we'll see there there's not like a you know, there's not a ton of uh defensive upside to this guy. So yeah, when he's I'd... not up offensively he's not doing that's it and you know it's it's weird because he didn't have much of a difference in his defensive play but um you know hits per game went up from 2.62 to 2.67 so 0.05 more hits per game so he's still hitting but um he clearly threw a few more hits this year which i could understand but then his blocks went down from 0.5 to 0.48 and his takeaways from 0.35 to 0.33 so both dropping by 0.02, not really a statistic, a statistical, you know, like significant drop, but still a slight drop, like we were saying before, and worth mentioning. But you know, he's he's clearly brought on the team for offense and hitting, and those are all things that went up. Yeah. So that's all I, that's all I really. It's care. all I can really expect from him, and all all I think people should. You know, he's not blocking shots, he's not intercepting passes, he's just he gets the puck, he throws a hit, and he just rips it up the boards and either scores or creates a scoring chance so you know it's just one of those things where he did exactly what we brought him in to do and i hope that you know he finds his spot especially with i think suzuki and caulfield is gonna just you know take his game to the next level too um but honestly can't complain about you know the the jump that he had i think looking at the board his jump was actually the biggest of yeah, the five the biggest, guys we're the biggest discussing. Change, yeah. Now this last one here is going to be kind of difficult to talk about, um, but you know it, it's it's worth mentioning. I oh I also realized I made a mistake there, but um, yeah, Thomas Tatar, uh, also a B-rated player um, that stays at a B from his uh, his original position in 2019-2020. Offensively, he decreased from an A to an A minus. And defensively, he stayed at a C rating. So, you know, it's going to be weird looking at the stats because sometimes the overall doesn't exactly reflect the... Um, uh, some of the... Yeah, the some, exactly. But overall, it's just... It's to understand he kind of stayed the same defensively and kind of dropped a little offensively. Yeah, like just keep in mind, like with offense, for example, we're going to weigh... For the offensive players, we're going to weigh their offensive stats slightly more, like a 60-40 split over well, the defensive it. stats, because we're not going to compare Thomas Tatar's defense to Jeff Petrie's. Right, exactly. And I'm, we're just comparing Thomas Tatar to Thomas Tatar. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So, um, 
you know, I, I'll, I'll do the offense, actually. So basically in 2019-2020, he was scoring at a .32 goals per game. That lowered to .20 goals per game. Uh, his assists go down from .57 to .40. And his points go from .9 to .6. So, you know, Tatar's offense was down across the board all season. Um, it's unfortunate because it's a contract year. You know, we saw him get scratched in the playoffs. Uh, this is someone who, you know, from the time we brought him in, has been a big part of the team. And, you know, it just, it's, it's always tough when the guy kind of just confirmed on his way out. Yeah. You know, because he clearly, like, it, it's he's still the top five player on the team this year. Yeah. I think, you know, I think a lot of this offensive drought is... You know, it's part and parcel with, with how Deno and Gallagher played this year. I mean, they're all, you know, Gallagher was way down. Deno didn't get a goal till like, March. Um, and, I, you know, you, when those guys are playing together, I mean, it's going to kind of, they're going to leak into each other's game. Um, you know, Thomas Tatar, I, I realistically think that, you know, this guy is a, a 55 to 65 point guy at the top of his game. And, um, you know, that's what he gave us for, for many years. Um you know, I'm I'm excited to see what's next for him. I I, I just don't think Bergeron is gonna, um, you know, extend that offer. No, I, I don't. Yeah, and I, I think whatever team does get him at, if they get him at a reasonable price, they're getting a very very solid top consistent six winner. player. Yeah, like this is a very this year was very unlike him, and I think it was just like I said, Dano was having a absolutely brutal season at the at the start with his offense production, and, and Gallagher was even way way down. So. Um, yeah, I think it's just... Yeah, and, and I think looking at the defense, it makes perfect sense. You know, his hits went up from 1.16 to 1.26. His blocks went up from 0.35 to 0.40. And then his takeaways went down from 0.46 to 0.32. So it, it just looks like he's away from the puck. You know, his yeah. hits and his blocks are up, but his takeaways and his offense are down. The puck wasn't on his stick yeah. as much this year. Right. And Makes sense. you know it just it, it just shows outright that his role changed, uh, the the style of play changed, and you know I mean this is he's thirty now, and I don't know if the Habs are going that direction. Obviously, he, when he was here, he was a massive part of the offense. He was our point leader, I think, back to back years. Yeah. Um, there is one thing I'm noticing now. So the top five players on the team: Suzuki, Petrie, Toffoli, Anderson, and Tatar this year. Um, trade, trade, trade sign trade yeah. so you know we were talking the other day about the entry draft like this is a problem yeah it is all of our top players are acquired by other teams or from other teams um this is something you have to look at and be like okay uh you know think about suzuki and tatar we got him through the same trade petrie we basically stole from edmonton when he was just on a you know we we bought him low uh, to Foley we signed, so that that's literally like physically buying him. And Anderson we flipped for yeah. Max Domi, so like this is, and we didn't even draft Max Domi. Yeah. So I think it's important for us to just kind of recognize that this team has a problem uh, drafting and developing players. Yeah. It's something that you know this isn't even exactly a deep dive on the stats, and it's clear that the five biggest performers on the team. Yeah. Our guys who weren't, let's say, Montreal property. Yeah, I think our, our faith in our scouting team is, is is low right now. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> low to the fans, but apparently, you know, management and and the owner and, and Jeff Molson, you know, don't see a problem. But there's 
you know, from anyone looking in, there's a huge problem with our with our scouting and, and our draft decisions because we haven't had a draft pick workout for a while. Like I, you know, I think Cole Caulfield will change that. I think a lot of the times, once we hit any semblance of even fooled gold, um, we kind of just we run with it to the point where we almost like tarnish their reputation. To the point where like, um, you know, we'll we'll make a player seem that. I'll give, use Kotkaniemi as a point, as a good example. Okay, like we could have realistically got Kotkaniemi in the twelve to eighteen range, yep. and we took him third. Uh, then we put this poor kid on this pedestal that he has to perform. You know, you know, basically a la Jack Eichel. Yeah. And when he's ceiling is just that ceiling is just way too high for him, and um, where his floor is right now, um, you're you're putting so much undue stress on this guy that if we just drafted properly. And got an actual bucket of prospects over the last. We got a good bucket now, but I'm saying in the, in the past ten years, like if we got an actual bucket of guys to, to develop, pressure wouldn't be on these single guys all the time, yeah. and it breaks them, and it's, it's unfortunate. But this should be a clear sign that something needs to change. You throw in the Logan Mayu thing, I think like yeah, something's got to give here. I I think the way, and I, we were talking about this yesterday, but I I, I want to put it out here and see what people think too. I think the way you should handle a draft, if, if I'm, let's say, the head of scouting, is that the first round, you have your list of consolidated picks. You know, it's not just your scouting, but it's everyone's scouting. And you're taking the best player. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Part. Rounds two through seven, you can take for need. Like, yeah. unless, let's say, you get a Connor McDavid who falls into the second round. You know, you have your, your exceptions. But the idea is, like, that never happens. Yeah. And so, you know what, let's say that a team like the Habs, where right now we're, we're really, really short on right-hand defensive prospects. Rounds two through seven, you can draft like seven right-hand prospects. Yeah. And you just if you handle it that one, you'll basically always get these kind of like fourth-round steals because you drafted all of them. One of them's going to hit. And two, your first-round pick will mainly be work of out. quality. Yeah, like yeah, There's going to be the odd one that doesn't three work out. Three four will work out. And you're not, you know, putting this ridiculous pressure on these kids that were drafted in a position that they shouldn't have been. And another thing that bugs me too is like we could have gotten a lot to to pick to take our pick. I mean, like if we if we traded for the fifteenth and gave them and gave a team the third, like yeah, we get a, a guy to play that position that we need. Well, I I think just looking, let's say at the Vegas trade, we got Suzuki, Tatar, and uh, a second round pick, yeah. which I know we flipped. Imagine if also it was Patrick in a first. Mm-hmm. That would have been Suzuki Tatar a second, and maybe like Shea Theodore. Yeah, that's that's like I obviously like that's a bit extreme, but you know what I mean. Like we would have had another piece in that deal, and so you know maybe like Jonathan Marsh or so or something yeah. like that. Just a piece that we we could have used. I instead of just kind of forcing our way into the top three and being like, I mean, look, we've had third overall pick twice since 2012 we took Kotkaniemi and Galchenyuk yeah Galchenyuk I understand that pick that's where they thought he was going however like you could have taken Morgan Riley you could have taken whoever is there you know and it's like just pick based off of who's there you don't have to go and be like we really need a centerman because like the way guys aren't playing right away the, the way I look at it is like um trying to think of this year's draft right you had Owen Power Matty Beniers, and number three was Mason McTavish, right? What happens if you really need a right-hand defenseman? With 
the second overall pick? Would you not take Beniers and just go take Brent Clark? Like, I know. No, you would take the guy who's ranked the highest. We would. We would. We would. Yeah. But I'm saying you and no, I, I, I don't think we would. I completely agree. I completely agree. And like, I, I think the problem here is, is that we lack that foresight of, yeah, we really do need a centerman, you know, like when we drafted Kotkaniemi. But realistically, by the time Kotkaniemi's ready to actually take up that mantle, we yeah. might not need a centerman. Well, and that's this it. Is the, this is you the know, problem. It's like we don't look down when these guys will actually play. Like, for the most part, when we drafted Kotkaniemi, he's not ready to take that position next year. And and in our defense, not we're not the only team that does this. Yeah. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight what Edmonton did at the draft. Yeah, if the Chets dig Wallstedt and they just trade the pick away, they do nothing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, look, Edmonton fans have been calling for the head of Ken Holland for years. You know, you're you're a guy who's got arguably the top two centermen right now in the league in Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, and you still can't make the like you can't make it work. Yeah. So you know, it, it just it's it's frustrating to see, but I think you know based off of more the the approach i think mark bergevin has checked out a little bit mentally um when he goes trevor timmons will go with him they, yeah. they come as a package and hopefully that's kind of the like new era for the canadians and again we made a lot of mark bergevin podcasts i do trust him in terms of his plan but i think when he's given up that's when you you gotta let him go because you know, he now doesn't have a plan yeah. because he's not looking beyond this year. Well, the thing is, is I think the success of the team this year, you know, going to the Stanley Cup final, I think that was his sort of like, I don't want to say like, okay, I'm done here, but it's sort of, he feels a weight off his shoulders, I think. And I, I that's not a position you want your general manager to be in because, you know, we start making lazy decisions. And, you know, I, I worry that this off season won't be fruitful because mm-hmm. of, uh, the success of last season. That's it. I, I, I feel the exact same way. I think he feels almost validated that his plan worked and it just didn't go his way this time. Yeah. But, you, you know... The Stanley Cup final isn't a coin flip. Like, exactly. we lost for a reason. It, it, that's it. And we we didn't have the same pieces. And yeah. that's, that's just it. So, you know, um, obviously credit to him for what he did do. But, you know, especially in those transition years, uh, you got to... You gotta, Almost, you, you want to open the door more for the next guy, not well, make yeah. it a tighter situation. Well, this offseason is, is arguably bigger than last offseason because, you know, we at least have a, you know, like we have a, a road painted to Rome and we're just missing a few bricks. And, you know, if we miss out on that this season, all of a sudden next season, you know, with the signings and whatnot, like it's going to be a little bit more complicated here. Well, that's and, it. It's... You know, Carey Price, another year older. Like we got to move it here a well, little that's bit. That's it. You know, you see that Seattle was saying the price to make them, like to select who they select was a first and a third. That's, I'm, I don't know why with the 31st overall pick, especially if you're going to make the pick you did. Yeah. Just trade the first and the third. We had three third round picks or two third round yeah. picks. And, and dump a cap, you know, like, I, I don't personally want to get rid of Byron, but you know what, Brett Kulak right now, mm. if, if we could have, you know, saved Kale Flurry for, you know, again, I wasn't heartbroken, but again, 27-year-old defenseman making one almost $1.9 for this year yeah. versus 22-year-old defenseman who needed to just sign a qualifying offer. Yeah. It's thinking ahead, and it's just, you know, that's another 1.9 off the books, and you know what, that 1.9 might be the difference between... 
you know, signing, like you said, a Dougie Hamilton and having cap space yeah. or not. Or, you know, I, I think we, we, we forget because it worked out, but, like, we really spun the barrel on Carey Price there. I mean, like, yeah. we could have had, you know, if we lost Carey Price, like, I, you know, we wouldn't have won a round in the playoffs. So, like, the, real, the reality is, is that, you know, basically on a, essentially a, you know, they, they could, we put the ball in Seattle's court and basically said, like, you can either bury us or make us. And I don't like that, that call. Um, well, I also th- I also think we forget that that wasn't even Mark Bergevin's idea. No, I know, but it was Carey he, Price. Exactly, he, sh- he yeah, I know. Mark Bergevin was just going to take the hit and lose Jake Allen. Yeah, my 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 perspective there was like you got to veto those decisions. I, mean, I, like, I you, agree. If you lose a guy like Carey Price, where you know you, you know we're talking about like a nine thirty five nine forty goalie in the playoffs, and um, you know the alternative to that being you know a, a primo Allen tandem, like I you know I. I struggle to see how that would work I, with I the loss with of Shea Weber. That's it. I, I agree with you, but I, I think along the lines, too, is like the, the, the other point that I was making is that, you know, Carey Price being the one suggesting it means that Carey Price is thinking of the team. He's saying, yeah. how do we manage to keep Jake Allen? And he goes, I don't think they'll take me on my cap hit, blah, blah, blah. Mark Bergeron is going to go, well, you know, that's the yeah. way the cookie crumbles and basically <laughs> be like, now I have to go get another backup. But who really cares? Because next year I won't be here. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't like the kind of like blase attitude a little bit. Yeah. I don't like the way Trevor Timmons also... answered his interview questions. Oh, yeah, that was just rough. kind of shrugging it off. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. It's, Another thing with rough. our with our picks, we're very stingy with trading our picks. For uh, we're you know I, I go back to Timmons again. We're very overconfident with our choices yeah. given our our drafting history. And I don't know why we are so stingy. I know they were offering it this season. Uh, like, during the draft, you know, there was news coming out that Bergevin, before he picked, was was shopping around the 31st pick. But the point is, is that he shops it around, but he keeps the asking price way out of reach. And we n- can never sell. Well, this is the thing. I'm, I just want to go through the last, like, 10 years of first-round picks, just for argument's sake, just to show, like, what we count as a hit. So, I am I know he hasn't played yet. I'm counting Logan Mayu's in this. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's 0 for 1. Well, even St. Hubert dropped the Canadians. Well, there so you go. And, nice. and Virtue Signal Trudeau jumped <laughs> in. So. Blackface Trudeau. Yeah, exactly. Caden um, Gooley, I'll leave it as neutral. Yeah. But like... Probably a plus. Probably a plus. Uh, let's give him the I benefit, just, I don't, yeah, I just don't the benefit know. of the doubt and say it's yeah. a win. I just don't know if... Like, just a caveat on that. I don't know if it's a plus in the first round. Yes, you know, but let's, let's yeah. just give them the benefit, the benefit of the doubt and say that was a good selection. Yeah. So one for two. Cole Caulfield, two for three. Isperi Kotkaniemi, three for four. Ryan Palin, three for well, four. Well, I, I don't know if I'd count Kotkaniemi there. Well, it's just a first-round selection. Yeah, no, I'm, be I'm a also guy counting where we picked, though. Okay, fine. Because yeah. so, if not, then like most of these guys will be okay. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I, I think, no, they won't. <laughs> that's the thing. After this, we got Sergachev, who we traded away. Okay, so three for five. Uh, that's three for six. Okay, three Is for six. One, two, three, four... Oh no, three for five. Yeah, three for six. Juleson, three for seven. Three for seven. Sherback, three, three for eight. eight. McCarron, three for nine. Galchenyuk, three for ten. Oh boy. Beaulieu, three for eleven. So three for eleven are are and pr- like realistically two for eleven because of Kotkaniemi. We could have got we could have realistically got Kotkaniemi at sixteenth, seventeenth. Um, also, when I say hit, I mean like a hit for us. Sergachev like, yeah. is a great player, but we traded him away nine games into his career exactly. with Montreal. It's the same thing with like a McDonough. Yeah. Like we draft him. I don't count him as like a successful draft pick yeah. because you just, 
it's like with Boston and, and Sagan. Like, you just gave him up for nothing. Like, that's yeah. not a success on your part. Exactly. So, congratulations. Tyler Sagan's good, and you, you picked him second overall and then didn't do anything with it. Exactly. So, you know, we're well under what our success rate should be. Yeah. Uh, especially given a lot of our picks weren't in the top 15, which is like, that's guys you just develop. Yeah. And you just let, you know, you're, you're just selecting either a middle six guy or a top four defenseman sometimes. Like, it's just, it's brutal to see... Because that's 10 years. You, yeah. you have to build these guys up. I, well, let's perform this exercise on the league, league-wide, see all, how all the other teams do, and like maybe we'll make a podcast out of it, because I'm sure most teams aren't below the point five. Oh, absolutely not. I guarantee you they at least hit on 50% of their yeah. first-round picks. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be astounding if they did. Yeah, and, and, we'll, and we'll just define what a hit is, like we did there. And yeah, that's basically it. Anyway, I, I, I'm still a little bitter about the the draft i think it was a poor draft showing for mark bergevin and you know i this was this these report cards were supposed to be kind of like um see who's like trending up and trending down but what ended up happening is it, it just highlighted for me that the players that like we grow at home are not the best players on the team yeah which worry yeah it, it yeah it is worrying because uh it's not always easy to go and sign tyler bullies well exactly it's like and you don't always just get that like yeah Oh, no one else wanted to offer him a contract. Yeah, and the league's getting bigger, and the talent's diluting. And, yeah. you know, it's going to be an issue. And, you know, and we'll... it's already hard to get players I also Canada. don't even particularly like our depth picks this year. No, I don't know anything about any of these guys. Right. And normally, I at least have notes. Yeah. So, anyway, we'll, we'll leave it there, because uh, that truck outside is absolutely brutalizing <laughs> this podcast. But, uh, yeah, we will check in with you guys soon with the next five players. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Habs Puck Drop podcast. You can email us your thoughts, questions, and suggestions through our email at habspuckdrop at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at habspuckdrop. We'll see you next time.